This is a MacKillop Farm Management Group podcast. We acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the ancestral lands, Potawitch to the north, Jawajali to the east, Bowendik to the south and Mitung to the west of the Limestone Coast region. We acknowledge Elders past and present and we respect the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of Aboriginal peoples to country. Welcome to The Prosperous Farmer, a podcast telling the stories of farmers in the Limestone Coast and Western Victoria. I'm your host, Meg Bell, and today I'm here with Beachport farmer Kate Wheel and agricultural advisor Flick Turner. Welcome, girls. Flick farms near Meningi with her husband, Mark, and has extensive experience running producer group training and extension. Flick has a long association with MacKillop Farm Management Group, having run many projects for MacKillop over the last 12 years. Kate, with her husband Mark, established and currently operates Beachport Berkshires, a free-range pig enterprise focusing on sustainability and ethical farming practices. They've also recently launched the Beachport Brewing Co. with plans to utilise their malt barley to produce beer locally. Kate, tell us how you first got into farming. Well, I actually grew up on a farm in Tasmania. My parents were wool farmers in the Midlands. Mum was also a nurse. During the late 80s, early 90s, they hit a lot of troubles high interest rates, crash in the wool market, drought. And in 97, they downsized to a much smaller property in the northeast of Tassie and Dad worked off farm full time. And probably as a result of his experiences, we were never encouraged into agriculture and I had no ambition in agriculture. I travelled after school for a few years and went to Melbourne for uni. I did professional writing and editing. I worked with a magazine company and my goals were very much orientated to a city life. One weekend, I went to the Dunkeld Races, met a man from South Australia who is a farmer, who is now my husband. Not long after I started dating him, I was visiting the farm quite regularly and I suddenly realised this is a life that I actually really loved and something that was part of me, you know, awoke again that I'd turned my back on for a long time. And he said there would, he'd uh, just been through succession planning with his family six months earlier and was now running the business on his own and said, you know, would I join him on the farm and in the business? And I did. It's been an interesting roller coaster since then. Yeah, I was lucky I had a background in it and it just changed my whole mindset on where my future was going to go. Tell us a bit about those farming enterprises that you and Mark have established and how did that come about? Well, we started off uh, quite traditionally for our area with uh, sheep, cattle and cropping. One year we had a bumper wheat harvest but the price was dismal and we'd had a few pigs on the side just to fill our freezer and Mark was sort of like, you know, I should be valuating this grain, converting it into a protein, not just selling it at this, you know, price that's hardly covering the cost of production. Why don't I expand what we're doing with our couple of hobby pigs, you know, turn it into a high value product because cereal was a pretty important part of his cropping rotation. On the other side of that, also, we like to be growing our own food. So we had a bit of everything happening. And where the pigs were at the time, they were near the garden and they kept escaping. And I was like, well, you either need to do these pigs properly or get rid of them. And I thought he would get rid of them at one point because they kept digging out water parks. But he made a few calls and spoke to a few butchers who were keen on getting some free-range or outdoor-raised pigs and combining the, the wheat we were producing and the fact that there could be a market for free-range pigs, we set off in that direction. We weren't purebred at that time. We had some crossbreeds. 
one butch in particular was keen on heritage breeds, so we started sourcing Berkshire genetics. And down the line, we now have a really good genetic line of purebred Berkshires. And it's been an interesting journey since then, adding that into our whole farm business. So we don't have many sheep now. We just trade on a you know summer basis, really, lambs. We've continued to grow our cattle enterprise. And our, cereal, our cropping program is now probably more cereal-focused so that we've always got the grain and small barley now actually going into our pig ration. Been a great way to incorporate another enterprise into existing strategies we already have. But also with pigs, what we really enjoyed is that our sheep and cattle are outdoors, free range. Why wouldn't we raise pigs like that? And it's taking us to the next level of having that direct relationship with consumers on the product we're creating. We were finding butchers were taking something and marking it as a really premium product, but we weren't getting necessarily paid that way. So we decided to launch it as our own brand and add provenance to that brand. And so five years ago, we launched Peachport Berkshires. That's been a really nice tie-in to what we were already doing on the farm and giving us that value of that pride in something that we put our label on it. Tell us a bit more about the brewery that you've just started. Oh, just a bit of background. Mark, my husband, has many interests. And for our wedding seven years ago, he wanted to build a microbrewery and brew the beer for our wedding. So when Mark does something, he does it to the nth degree and researches (laughs) it and learns it very thoroughly. So he built this 200-litre brewery and the beer was a great success for the wedding. Uh, But that's just been something in the background as one of his passions but actually what we were doing a bit over a year ago was with our pork brand wanting to take the next step of having our own breakdown facility where we could we're currently selling whole carcasses but we want to be able to cut them up box them sell them in primals sell them in shelf ready packages to go into small supermarkets that don't have their own butcher in-house butcher and then also do that direct marketing with restaurants we were doing some through other butchers but we wanted that full control of the distribution chain especially to protect our brand and know what was going where and then utilize offcuts and make sausages and things like that so we had lots of ideas there of what we wanted to achieve and we're just starting to look around for a property and we heard that the local fish factory in Beachport was on the market it wasn't official but they were about to put it out to sell and we contacted the owners and said could we go have a look it was a huge block a huge property but it had two huge cool rooms that they'd been freezing cray bait in and we thought oh this would be amazing for our pork breakdown facility and we could have a shop and we're right in town and you get all the foot traffic and it puts brand beachport out there and we started planning in that direction for our meat facility and to do small goods and then we realized this is huge like there is so much more potential here for this existing building and the whole site itself it's got 65 meters of ocean frontage directly opposite the jetty so it's really in a prime location in the town and we thought we'd love to do something more and you know wouldn't our own brewery (laughs) be amazing and so very quickly we're on the path of planning a whole other business and that has gone into the front part that used to be the cray factory where there's all the lobster like all the tanks that all the crayfish were stored in and then the back part where there was an existing quarry and we've added on and renovated that ready for our meat facility to go in. That hasn't opened yet, but the brewery has opened a month ago. Mark actually went away and did a TAFE intensive or commercial brewing course last year. All our equipment arrived in November and the installation was finished by January. We started making beer February. 
launched a festival in March and we opened officially in April. So it's pretty pretty intense year. <laughs> I mean, the brewery wasn't really a business goal initially. We were on the path of a location for the pork brand and this came about as well, but it's just been a way to gel other interests. And we do hope to tie it in with the farm and we're already cropping planet barley, which is a malt barley, and we're looking to get that malted to utilise into our own brews as well. What we found with brand with the Beachport Berkshires and what we want to do with the brewery and the whole site in there is really build brand Beachport. We love our area and really help marketing that and what the area can produce is also a really big driving factor for us in all our business streams. Kate, you've been on two of our McKillop Group Women on Farms tours. Tell us a bit about why you decided to join in with the tours and what did you learn from visiting other businesses in the region and, and outside of our region? Well, initially with the first one, a good friend, Megan Skier, who many of you in the McKillop group may know, was organising the first one and said we we like to go and the itinerary just sounded amazing. And then she said, oh, well, you haven't quite worked out the first place where we're starting. And I've, I don't, I can't remember if she suggested or I suggested it, but somehow it ended up being us with Beachport Berkshires at the farm. And it was with a fantastic group of women and it just all sounded a lot of fun. We're going to get great food, nice accommodation, <laughs> go, to, go behind the scenes on some fantastic businesses. But also other people were interested in what we were doing at the time. So that was really inspiring. What I loved about that tour, apart from just the businesses we, we visited, was being with a great group of women and all having two days out of our normal daily grind to Broaden, broaden our minds and broaden our experiences but in a really positive and nurturing environment and where everyone was comfortable asking questions everyone was happy saying oh I don't know much about this side of you know the farm but what do you think and and so that was really engaging and really inspiring the biggest thing I loved about the first tour was just seeing what was on our doorstep in the limestone coast like going behind the scenes with Mayura and BioGrow and just you know, some of these companies that have such an international standing now and they've been achieved right in our, our area. It was just so inspiring and seeing what people can persevere to grow. Yeah. To. Do you think that the information or the experiences you got from going on the tours has helped you and Mark to make more robust decisions in your business so far? Definitely. And I've been thinking about this a lot. One thing from particularly in the first tour that was a big take home was and it was actually Megan again at the very end said the thing she noticed about all the businesses we'd visited was that they never stood still they were always trialing something new innovating progressing there were always goals and I realized she was also talking about our business when she said that and at that time of doing that tour I had Lily who was just three and Willow was nine weeks old so she came on tour with us in the front pack (laughs) And life was generally pretty busy and pretty overwhelming and there were times where I definitely felt like I needed everything to slow down. I needed a bit more consistency in what each day or each month on the farm or with our business was going to bring and I needed a bit more direction. One thing Megan said that this about that they're all, you know, not standing still and I suddenly felt this whole mind shift within me and going, oh, aha. That's what we're doing. I felt like I was on this runaway train. <laughs> Sometimes it was always chaotic. I didn't quite know what idea my dear husband was going to have next or what passion <laughs> would be coming along or which direction or what new must-have crop to trial or machinery to have. And I just wanted some smooth sailing for a little while. But that wasn't – that's not the way he works and it's not 
the way it's ever going to be. And I suddenly realized if I could adopt the way I was looking at it all as, as chaos and, you know, <laughs> a train without brakes <laughs> to harness that energy and realize what we were doing was all part of a greater growth stage and work out how to apply strategy we could be kicking massive goals. And so that probably that simple comment from Megan actually gave me a huge mental mind shift. And a few months later, we engaged at my urging a business consultant and just doing regular meetings with that and having to sit down and discuss things with strategy, with goals, with planning, with looking at everything from financials to staffing has given me much greater confidence in our business goals and our business planning and our partnership and communication and also really helped solidify why sometimes seems really crazy on a treadmill where it's not stopping but what we're hoping to get out of that crazy <laughs> just stepping out of your every day to go and see some of these businesses that have grown and how, how do you start like and for us it's it's just been well for me personally is to bring some of that strategy in and really utilizing advisors who can help you with that so that was pretty massive and then from the second tour we were more around Adelaide Hills some of those companies are sort of fourth or fifth generation and what they're achieving and their leaders in their field that was incredible and that probably just came at a good time that you know, we're not saying we want to conquer the world, but it was just a good refresher on inspiration and these people who are so passionate about what they're doing and how they've all adopted to new technology and how they've grown. And so that was a really good check-in again to be amazed by what is happening in our state or by Australian farmers, but also to just recheck that energy on your own business drive and enthusiasm and yeah, get inspired again. I reckon Flick would agree with me and say that they are pretty good, resoundingly positive experiences that have come out of the tours. And if McKillop can have that kind of impact, that's exactly what we're hoping for. Well done, Flick, because you've organised both of them. <laughs> Thanks, Meg. It's been an interesting time. I think at the end of the day, it's there. And with all the, all the um, study tours that we've organised, it's largely to try and help people get outside of their own business. Probably a bit like Kate said, see different things. And think about that to see how they can apply some of that back in their own business. When you set out to organise those couple of tours, was that the main aim or was there another aim around the tours that you were hoping to help people learn something specific? Yeah, look, Meg, it's it's essentially just to get outside of your own backyard, I think. I think that's the key thing, see what's happening out in the big wide world. I think often we can become quite insular and I know that sort of over the probably 12 years that I've been involved in McKillop, I've done, I think, four larger study tours and then the two tours for women on farms. The larger tours have been fantastic, but they're often four or five days. And to get multiple people out of a business for four or five days, especially with, you know, if there's families involved, children, and, and often, you know, the, the partners are, are working off farm, has been challenging. We've had a few women join us over the time, but there probably hasn't been a, a strong demographic or demographic of, of ladies this was a really good opportunity to run some women on farm tours just have it one night overnight and try and target it so that there was opportunities for those people who would like to just to join us for two days trying to reduce the amount of childcare and things that that was required and 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 also like I said if they're working off farm if it's only two days out of the week it's not so bad but you start going a, a greater number and it becomes more challenging so that was probably yeah the insight and 
It is. It's it's to take them outside and see how other businesses, other industries, other areas of agriculture uh, function. So, you know, from vegetable growers, fruit growers, I think some of the previous ones we've gone on oyster farms. It's not just looking at broadacre cropping or mixed livestock or livestock farms. It's looking at a whole gamut of industries within agriculture just to look at the diversity and see other businesses, other business structures. A lot of these businesses, I think Kate mentioned, the ones that we saw in the hills are are fourth or fifth generation. They've been through succession. They've been through lots of different challenges. And just seeing how, and and, we're really fortunate that they were so open in discussing some of that with us and the challenges that they've faced through those times and how they've worked as a business to, to overcome that identifying particularly around the people factor, the strengths and weaknesses, working through that process. So the insight that you can learn from some of those other businesses is is just amazing. Tell us, Flick, a little bit about the benefits that you think the participants have gained from visiting a variety of these agricultural businesses. If any of the participants you've worked with have, have come back to you and said, oh, I really specifically enjoyed this particular part or I've really taken that and run with it in my own business. I think it's just generally the networks and friendships that they've made. You know, when we went on on a previous tour to WA, next thing I'm getting a phone call, oh, have you you got the name of that bloke that does this and and provided phone calls for them to then make inquiries. I think there's been a lot of continuation of discussions post the farm tour, um, whether it be on social media, between hosts and participants. And generally, there's been an, an increase in, in agricultural knowledge of the businesses, business structures, and it's really given people an opportunity to take a time out of their own business and refocus and, and re-energise, like Kate said, you know, trying to generate that energy and have a bit of a break from the day-to-day and actually think a little bit more strategically. One of the key things is, or the key benefits, I think, is the time on the bus afterwards We'll sit there and discuss the business that we've been to and get everyone to provide some feedback. And it's really interesting. It gives you a real insight into actual people themselves that everybody hears the same thing, they saw the same thing, but their interpretation of what was actually occurring in that business is is different. Mm. And by sharing that amongst the group and those different key learnings, I think it actually broadens your whole experience and gives you a really grounded and rounded experience of what you've just seen and learned and probably solidifies the experience so you start to think a bit more about what can I take home how can I change my business or or improve things based on what I've learned or what I've heard you might hear things but it's actually then trying to to take it to that next level and turning it into a learning experience. From the tours you've organised Flick what has been your key learning that's come out of it not necessarily the participants but your your own key learning for your own work or or life probably that I need to spend more time implementing what I've heard and seen (laughs) in our own business Meg that's probably uh, the key learning that's come out of it but look probably that one thing that I've seen across all tours is the passion that exists out there in the industry the passion for agriculture, the passion for sustainable businesses, the importance of people within a business, passion around food security for future generations. And that's probably been the key thing that's come through, the sustainability of businesses and what what needs to be done, I guess, within our business to, to try and improve its sustainability. Kate, 
What were your key learnings from being part of the Women on Farms tours? I know you've already talked a little bit about particularly the first tour, but maybe your experiences from the the second tour, what were the key learnings that you took home from that? Um, I think, again, it's just being aware and excited by the level of innovation on on our doorstep and the variety of also careers or products that are out there in agriculture and that, you know, we're sending domestically around this country but also internationally it's just it makes you so proud to be part of Australian agriculture and to meet these amazing farmers who are leading cutting edge in what they're doing but as some more take-homes it's probably yeah harnessing that passion that that people have and how to keep that passion alive without you know flogging yourself to, (laughs) to to no end and also one thing that was in the second tour, especially a lot of the women were asking questions more about succession planning and the person, the you know, the people behind the scenes of the business. And I think a lot of that would come out more to, I could be generalising here, on a women's-based tour that we were all really tuning in to, so how does this all affect you and for the family and the next generation or, you know, are you having holidays and things like that? It was really engaging to see the female perspective too on these businesses because it's not always just about, you know, making them more money or kicking huge goals within your industry. It's about how to achieve what you want to achieve but still have your, your family life and your health and your well-being. And it's that kind of sustainability as well, not just financial or environmental sustainability yeah so it was really nice being in an environment where lots of people were asking those kind of questions following on from that it sounds like you've taken a fair bit out of these couple of tours so what sort of suggestions have you got for other people that might be in a similar position to you you know five or ten years ago I feel even looking back as a suggestion to myself is to not be afraid of diversifying not be afraid of trying new things but work out, you know, your personality strengths and weaknesses and how to implement some strategy around what you want to try and, and why you want to try it. What are you getting out of it and what's driving you to do that? And I think a lot of that for us or for Mark particularly, he is a person that thrives on variety and thrives on continuing his learning. And for me, it thrives on doing those new things but doing them to the very best level that we can with that attention to detail and that quality and that follow through. So I think as a, as a you know, a take home, it's sort of don't be afraid to try and diversify, but work out on, on the details of how it's going to work for you and your farm life and within your business and have try and have some balance around it all yeah. as well. But as long as you, you're getting that satisfaction back of, you know, why are you doing it? So yeah, great advice. Flick, what's next for you in the area of building farm resilience and supporting farmers to develop their decision-making skills? As far as this project's concerned, that'll wind up in the next sort of six months. There's a farm dashboard that has been built as part of this process to try and help farmers uh, make better decisions. So we'll look at rolling that out. When you talk resilience, to me, it's actually about more sustainable systems. You've got the known knowns, so you know, things that you can use decision, sound decision making and some of these tools to try and make better decisions. You've got your known unknowns, so things around, you know, weather, but but also something like the pandemic. It's known, but it's still an unknown for us. And some of those things, you know, you can't use a tool for that. You've, you've got to try and pull on other things. 
And then you've got your total unknowns. So foot and mouth disease in Indonesia at the moment, just looming on the border. And, and that's a huge unknown for, for everybody's business. So I guess going forward, I really think it's it's focusing on sustainability. I'm hoping to spend some more time on the farm, really trying to actually make our business more sustainable and hoping that I can you know work through all pro, all aspects from from the human resources side through to the actual the land itself and also the profitability side of things just so that when something does pop up I think if you've got a more sustainable business it naturally becomes more resilient and can bounce back a lot better so it's really trying to focus on those and then hopefully I can take some of those learnings from a from a farmer perspective with a farmer hat on you know out to out to a wider audience. Kate what's next for you on farm? My biggest focus actually at the moment is probably on our Beachport property with our brewery and getting our canning up and going, getting our gin distilling up and going, packaging, distribution, and then with our pork meat room, getting that up and running, we're recruiting a butcher, getting that business and that distribution side of things up and running, building some synergy between those two with whether we can have monthly events cooking pork served with a brewery getting those brands happening together and then in terms of all that coming back through the farm I've mentioned about trying to use the malt barley and we're still growing our on-farm pig enterprise we're always assessing our you know quality with our nutrition with our genetics our end carcass it's sort of never stopping it's always looking at our bloodlines and what we're bringing into it and then in terms of our other farm operations we're five years into a 20-year paddock renovation program of deep ripping and rock mulching about 40 hectares a year so we're always trying to improve that for our cropping program and then long term our renovated pasture program so we're always looking to be improving our livestock carrying capacity and our crop yields so it's sort of something happening across every enterprise really so but so, that's wouldn't have it any other way so sounds like the train's still going yeah yeah and I mean we've we've got big plans in Beachport whether we continue with them or not to add a commercial restaurant and accommodation on there we've got plans to run up but that might be another you know five-year project as well okay. so a bit of property development and, and everything the true meaning of a diverse enterprise I think <laughs> Uh, Well, Kate and Flick, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your stories with us. It's been great to chat with you. Today's chat is part of a broader project aimed at building the resilience and profitability of cropping and grazing farmers, and it's funded by the National Landcare Program Smart Farming Partnerships. The project is delivered by a consortium comprised of Southern Farming Systems, MacKillop Farm Management Group, AgKI, Federation University, Precision Agriculture, Glenelg Hopkins Catchment Management Authority, Australian Fertiliser Services Association, Victorian Lime Producers Association and the Department of Economic Development, Jobs, Transport and Resources. Thanks for listening to The Prosperous Farmer, a MacKillop Farm Management Group production. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at MacKillop Group or check out our website at mackillopgroup.com.au. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.